Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Cooperative this Thursday morning. I am in Washington, D.C., and we have Dr. Stacy Sutton on with us this morning. Good morning, Dr. Sutton. Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you? Great, great. And where are you located in the world? I am in Chicago, Illinois. Okay. And what do you do there? I'm a professor of urban planning and policy at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Uh, where I do a lot of research on cooperatives and economic democracy and the solidarity economy. Lots and lots of research. Let me ask you this question right off. Do you like what you do? I do. <laughs> I do. I, I, I quite like what I do. Yeah, I mean, I, I like doing research, but I, I do. that's one part of my life. I also do community organizing, work in community and use the research. So it's applied research, not just scholarship for scholarship's sake, but applied research. So one part is building knowledge, the other is applying the knowledge. Building the knowledge and then using it. All right. Do you teach it at all? I do. I teach. So um, yeah, I've I've got that part. (laughs) As a professor, I teach uh, and I actually have a a graduate course on solidarity economy where I get to teach 20 uh, graduate students in urban planning and policy about worker-owned cooperatives and solidarity economy and community land trusts and, and all of the things that, that create kind of a robust community. A robust community. I love it. I love it. I wish the audience could have seen your smile when I ask you, do you <laughs> like what you do? You just brighten right up. Okay. <laughs> I got it. You love what you do. Research using the research, the knowledge that's gained, and then teaching it to folks. So it sounds like wonderful. So what's the research that you're doing or you just did? So I've done a couple of projects. And the first began with um, trying to understand what's happening in cities across the country with regard to worker-owned cooperatives. How are cities, and when I say cities, I do mean like within city government, how are cities supporting cooperatives? And in that study, I was really looking for evidence that they're supporting, not just the rhetoric that they're supporting. Um, and so I was able to identify 12 cities. And uh, I define in this study, I define cities as uh, having populations of at least 100,000. So 12 cities that are using their power, right? Everything from land distribution to changing regulations to kind of changing kind of legal, legal frameworks um, to support worker ownership. And so those cities vary from Cleveland and Richmond, Virginia to New York City, Madison, Wisconsin, uh, Minneapolis, and then a bunch of other cities like Austin, Berkeley, Boston, Philadelphia, who else is in there? Oakland, 
trying to remember off the top of my head. So, the, you know, there, yeah, there are a number of cities. Those are the cities that I die, kind of characterize as cooperative cities because there's strong evidence that the city, at least at the time I was doing this study, that the city was um, kind of engaged. Some cities were putting a lot of money. Some cities were providing technical assistance or support and, or, and building public awareness. But all of them were doing something that helped build this uh, ecosystem, cooperative ecosystem, and build workroom cooperative. Cooperative ecosystem and what? What was the other? And cooperatives themselves, right? So you, you can have an ecosystem, but if you don't have workroom cooperatives, then the ecosystem, in, in my mind, is not particularly effective. So in these cities, there there's evidence of worker-owned cooperatives. And, you know, as we know, they, they need particular support. So how is the city kind of building that? into their frame. Okay, and so I didn't hear Chicago or Washington, D.C. <laughs> you did not. You did not. And yeah, but I think in all fairness, this paper came out in 2019. So the data was collected probably a year earlier. And as I say, this has changed quite a bit. Um, and, and thankfully, some of it has to do with the, the you know, dissemination of this work. So other cities can see that this is, this is, this is legitimate, <laughs> that uh, cooperatives are ways of building community wealth. So since this paper was published, I would say uh, Chicago is surely well up there. Uh, they just allocated uh, $15 million to community wealth building. Wait, wait, uh, wait, wait, 15 million? 15 million. Over how many years? <laughs> well, we have to spend it by 2026. It's it's the ARPA money. It's, it's so... There is, you know, quite a bit of money um, given to cities for recovery. And through advocacy, we were able to create what we call a community wealth building initiative. And the people within the mayor's office, the Office of Racial Equity, Equity and Something Justice, I forget, something, one of these, the office within the mayor's office, they were extremely successful in putting together an advisory board and advocating for an an allocation. Granted, it's, it's a small sliver of what the city gets in terms of the ARPA resources, but that's a huge pot of money for this kind of work. And now that just happened. It, it, it was it was inserted in the recent budget, and we hope to start disseminating the resources within the next few months. But we have a, we're developing the process by which we're doing that. So it's for worker-owned cooperatives. Mm-hmm. It's for other elements of the ecosystem. It's housing cooperatives and community land trusts. Those are the elements that we're really focusing on. Okay. The types of co-ops are uh, worker co-ops and housing co-ops. And then there's the community land trust in it to get land and put it in trust for, I think when you combine a community land trust with a housing co-op, particularly a limited equity housing co-op, you have affordable housing for here on out. And when you Absolutely. just have a limited equity co-op, after 40, 50 years, whatever is in their lending documents, they can decide to not have that to be a limited equity co-op anymore. I like combining those two. That's wonderful. And yeah. then housing co-op. Okay. But that's that's like $3 million a year, $3, 4000000 million a year. That's up with the same as, as New York City. Madison was about a million yeah. a year. Right, right. Uh, and I don't think we're approaching it the same as New York in the sense that we're really trying to see which projects make sense. We're, we're trying to build what we call scalable worker cooperatives. 
and then support the worker cooperatives that already exist, as well as the broader ecosystem. Surely you can't build affordable housing with, with just that. So it's also leveraging resources, bringing philanthropy to the table. So the, the, the idea is that that 15 million can, can leverage additional resources at the same time that we're actually investing in entities. And, and, uh, and there are a number of developers in the Chicago that need to build their capacity, right? There, there are a you know, few persons uh, within each entity that if with resources, they could train more people to do co-op development. I train maybe, uh, you know, as I said, my class every spring, I have 20 students, graduate students. Some of them actually end up working with some of these developers. So we just need to build capacity. So with resources, you can do that. And so, you know, we've been working on this for years and it's not just me, but I remember walking into a meeting in the mayor's office with my paper, like, hey, you just have to read this. Nobody read it. But, but, <laughs> but you got it done. You got it done. <laughs> eventually. And the thing, just as you said, when they did not see their name, when we did not see Chicago on the list, it becomes, oh, why not us, right? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that things were not happening in Chicago. Grassroots absolutely have been for, for decades. There was not... A, the infrastructure in terms of from the city, you know, and the investment from the city perspective, that's very different. And I would say the same thing for DC. DC is has a, has a robust, or at least it had, and now it's growing once again, a robust kind of movement, grassroots movement around cooperatives as, as does Baltimore. But I didn't see evidence within city government at the time I was doing this research that the city was putting money, changing legislation, changing, you know, or ordinances or resolutions or uh, allocating land, any of the the things I was looking for. And I have about 25 to 30 things I was looking for to suggest the municipality is committed to worker own. And I would really like to get those 25 or 30 things that you're looking (laughs) at to see what, you know, what do you say and what your research says is important that a city is doing to help this, help create co-ops and particular ecosystems. Um, our uh, shout out to uh, Anita Barnes is our uh, city council member that created a, a, a limited equity housing co-op task force. And oh, nice. we, we found out there are 99 limited equity housing co-ops in the, in DC right now. And then what kinds of resources are needed? And we talked about money and Eliminating property taxes, having money in there for training, consistent, continuous training, money for rehab and so forth, and then money to create additional limited equity housing co-ops. And HUD hasn't had that money. Uh, They used in the 50s and 60s and maybe even in the 70s, but they haven't had money for for housing co-ops. So we haven't been able to look to them. I think we, with your research, we might be able to take some stuff to them but but there's also i mean there's a lot of money right now with the recovery uh, money as it's being allocated right and i that's what we used for this the arpa money and you know however we're defining kind of build that better it's not just physical infrastructure we have to build our social and economic infrastructure in our cities so getting a small sliver, we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars that are going to community development within Chicago. And we just, this is, so 15 is a small sliver, but there, there are resources at this moment. And I wish Herb Fisher, Herb uh, was a lawyer in Chicago that helped develop uh, housing co-ops. He's uh, in a nursing home in Florida right now with his son, but he would love to, 
I'm going to try to reach out. He's, he's, he's working the Development and Preservation Committee at the National Association of Housing Co-ops, and that group is doing to create affordable housing in the in the U.S. total. So I want to get this information to them and to him. He would I know he would just be happy, pink, to hear what you're talking about right now. So I would like to, when we come back after our first break, to talk about some of these cities, some of these variables that you're talking about, uh, what you saw. And then before we finish this hour, I'd really talk about some of your future research that you're doing. Okay. All right. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Your news talk station. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. We have Dr. Stacy Sutton on with us this morning, talking about her research and her love for co-ops and building community wealth. Dr. Sutton, I would like to delve more into the cities that you work with and some of the variables that you've learned. So what are a couple of cities you'd like to talk about? Yeah, so the cities that I um, kind of characterize as cooperative cities, because the municipalities, the, the, the local governments are doing stuff around cooperative. I would probably start with New York City. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the scale of the work that they were doing and New York City, Minneapolis and Madison, all of those cities I call kind of cultivator cities because they are both cultivating kind of this ethic of, of cooperatives, right? They're cultivating uh, investments in cooperatives and they're supporting the, the, the grassroots work that has been going on for quite some time. So if we focus in New York, for instance, they implemented an initiative within the small business services. So within city governments, they created a kind of a, um, I think it was called a, WBDC, I'm trying to remember the acronym, what the acronym is for, but they created an initiative that was funded for five consecutive years, and each year uh, it increased incrementally. So it started with a couple of million and then went, I think by the time it ended, I think there was close to four million the last year. And I don't know that it's, I shouldn't say ended, I don't know that it's ended, but the last annual report that I saw. And so over the last, so this began, I believe, in about 2016 or 17. So each year since then, they've been investing. So the money is, is, an extreme, is extremely important, right? But they also, um, they, there was a, you know, so they have a budget initiative, but they, they had support, very kind of explicit support from city council and from the mayor's office. As I said, they implemented this within the Department of Small Business Services. Oh, it was called the Worker Cooperative Business Development Initiative. Okay. Um, but then in terms of uh, other things, you know, cities have a lot of power to leverage funds from other sources, even if they don't have uh, the funds internally. So that's extremely important to be able to provide access uh, to low interest loans, revolving loan funds, and ideally, you know, non-extractive capital. I, I don't believe that's what happened through the city, but but uh, but the other elements of financing in terms of startup capital, low interest loans, those are things that I saw in New York. 
they invested in the ecosystem, right? So we know we have worker-owned cooperatives, but in order to establish a worker-owned cooperative, a lot of things have to happen. It's not just an individual entrepreneur has an idea and 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 files uh, for an LLC. There's a group of people that come together and and really build a kind of a democratic process for starting an enterprise and maintaining that enterprise, right? So if you are starting a business, you may know, you and your your peers, your your colleagues may know how to do that business. You may know how to uh, make windows, for instance, but you don't fully know how to govern the enterprise. You don't fully, you're not fully clear about all of like the accounting systems and the legal systems and, and all of those things. And so Somebody has to be, offer that support. And so in New York, we, we saw a growth in the infrastructure that we call kind of the ecosystem, the technical assistance providers, those co-op developers, even advocacy, right? So those folks that are thinking about policy at the local level, at the state level, at the federal level that supports co-op development. Building public awareness is a big component. I think it seems trivial. But the degree to which cooperators, those who are kind of building the co-op, can go into a, a small business center and ask for support around something they don't fully understand, the degree to which the people working at that center understand cooperatives is huge. Because yeah. what we see again and again is people go for their to the typical traditional uh, venues to get support or go to a bank to get support and and the people they're engaging with do not understand cooperatives and in some regards cooperatives are just businesses right but in many regards there there's a lot of nuance to running and sustaining and and even growing a cooperative which is different than a conventional business so you have to build that awareness and you have it has to be normalized that there are different types of businesses, just like there are corporations and and uh, sole proprietorships and so forth. Cooperatives are another form of business. So folks need to understand that. So when you start talking about building the ecosystem, building the um, policies, getting the resources for, so for support, one of the key things that I find that you have to have in a co-op that you don't have to have in a hierarchical system is how do you, how you resolve conflict? That conflict resolution is critical because you want everybody to have a voice and you want everybody to be heard, not only be able to say something, but be heard and take in what they say is, is considered and debated and some conclusion is made. And once the conclusion is made, people go implement that takes training because that's not how our system works absolutely i mean in the family it doesn't work that way in the church it doesn't work that way <laughs> it's all hierarchy it's somebody making the decision the buck absolutely. stops there but in the co-op is everybody is in that decision process so yeah it's a yes. whole training process i, I got it. I, yeah yes. yeah and it's not easy as you said it's not it, it, because we have not been trained in it since you know, since birth, we have not been trained in it through our educational process. Kindergarten or not, we've been trained in hierarchy. So to relearn uh, kind of democracy, to really understand that democracy is not just what happens in the voting booth, but, you know, democratic processes are exactly as you described. And they have to work within cooperatives, right? Everybody has one vote, one person, one vote. And so for that to be effective, Everyone has to be 
heard and everyone has to feel that they're heard and that they have equal power. And, uh, and there, there are practices for, for doing that, right? Whether you adopt a you know, sociocracy or another governance practice, you have to learn it. And there are people that are experts in training. And so co-op developers, one of their expertise is often uh, governance, not always. Sometimes it's the legal um, support that, that co-ops get. And sometimes the legal, legal scholars or legal um, you know, technical assistance providers have training in governance as well. So those are extremely important. So I have it that co-ops are hard work. You have to do the job of whatever the business you're in, putting in windows, if that's what it, making windows, whatever it is around the windows, you have to do that. Plus, you have to govern the business. And so I've had some people on like Equal Exchange, a worker cooperative, where the guy said when he would be in a meeting, Rodney North was his name. He said he would be in a meeting. He was the chair of the board and the manager, whoever the executive director, would be telling him what to do because he was in marketing. That night when they had a board meeting, he and the board would be telling the manager what to do. <laughs> and so those roles would flip and people have to have to understand that and stay in their lane and depending on which role they're in. Uh, so, yeah, it, and that, that is so what's interesting. So it's hard work, but it's extremely rewarding work. You talked about wealth building, financial wealth. Boy, but when you get voice, uh, Dame Pauline Green said on this show, co-ops help people come out of poverty with dignity. And I think what that dignity is, is voice. You have a voice. You can be heard. You can say something. You can contribute to the decision. And sometimes your your idea may be that's decision. Where normally, if you work in the assembly line, at like I did at Ford, have no voice in what happens. None whatsoever. So, yeah, I love co-ops for all of those reasons. I don't want to – please keep going. <laughs> no, no, that's it. I mean, I think we, we use the term of uh, self-determination, but co-ops are perhaps the best manifestation of that or one of the best manifestations of that within uh, an organizational form, right, in that people that have taken on that responsibility to be the workers and the owners are determining – the trajectory of that enterprise, right? And the, 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 as you said, that kind of reward, it's hard work, but most things that, that are hard work, there's some reward. There's a reward that that's why we keep doing it. You know, I think we hear that again and again. And, and, and not only is there a reward that, that's, you know, almost, you know, that, that is both emotional and, and economic, but we, we see reward in terms of the sustainability of the business because people... Again, if we let's say building the windows, you don't just work in your lane, you get to learn the scope of what it takes to build windows and to manage the books, right? Open book management is also a big component. So full transparency and accountability. So, you, you know, in order to, to fully participate, you have to understand. It doesn't mean you have to become the accountant, but you have to understand how the whole system works yes. and trust it. Right. So the degree to which you can look at the books and see, OK, this this I understand what's happening here and it, it, it makes sense. It resonates. You feel far more comfortable when somebody is asking or suggesting that the work process or the supplies that we buy might be a little I, different. Than, I'm than sorry, I have to cut you off because we have to go to our second break and we'll continue talking about New York when we get back and into one of the other cities. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Uh, Everything Cooperative is the program. Right before we took break, um, Dr. Sutton was talking about co-ops. And without saying it, she was really talking about the values and principles of co-ops. And just real quickly, the values of cooperation are based on the values of self-help, self-responsibility, democracy, equality, equity, and solidarity. And in the tradition, of the founders of the cooperative members believe in the ethical values of honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for others. And I like to say caring for one another is the golden rule. And the principles are volunteer and open membership, democratic member control, and that's that one member, one vote. Members' economic participation, you normally put something in, but you get to share the profits. That's where the that's where the real wealth comes in besides a fair salary, fair wage. Autonomy and independence, you have to have control. Education, training, and information, we've talked about that. We'll continue to talk about that. And then there's the ecosystem of cooperation among co-ops, which is a part of that ecosystem. And then the seventh one is concern for community. So, Dr. Sutton, without stating it, it seems anytime we talk about co-ops to a cooperator like yourself who researches cooperations, implement cooperations, cooperators, and then you do the teaching. These values are, are and principles are already in the conversation without necessarily so stating this is a value of co-ops and this is a principle of co-ops. But I want to go back to the uh, New York, particularly so they put in from two million to four million over a five, six, seven year period, and you were talked about at once. But uh, you said that Chicago was different, doing it differently from New York. So how did New York do and implement their plan and their policies for creating co-ops in its in this ecosystem? Well, I, I would say um, I don't want to speak too specifically to New York. So what I studied were the policies and practices that were obvious or that were legible. I would say in the city, right, in terms of how much money they invested starting in, I think it was 2015, all the way through 2020. And so, you know, as I said, it was like from 1 million to 3 or 4 million each year. And so in the sense, they were different because they were one of the few cities that was actually doing that at the time, right? Chicago wasn't, it, it hadn't started um, at the city level. Again, there were a number of cooperatives in the city. There were a number of co-op developers. There were technical assistance providers. And all of that was happening kind of kind of at, at the grassroots level. But the city had not made any kind of grand gesture toward worker ownership. They had not invested or changed policy in any way that was legible uh, in Chicago. So that is changing now. I would say Chicago, the, the way they're approaching it is through what we call community wealth building and the community wealth building initiative was implemented in the, the last um, budget and it will be kind of I guess it will be launched fully launched in this summer and so there's an advisory group that has come together to support decision making right in terms of being a democratic process um, and the city has been able to allocate $15 million. So rather than year by year by year, as New York did, uh, kind of a lump sum uh, to community wealth building. And by that, it's it's worker on cooperatives and building the ecosystem, but it's also thinking about community land trusts and 
housing cooperatives for affordable housing. So I, I would say that I don't think that New York, at least I didn't, there are tons of cooperatives in New York. So that's, I mean, housing cooperatives, but mm-hmm. I don't think that was part of their, their strategy. It was largely focusing on the business development side. And I understand what they did was they allocated this money to the technical advisors, yes. uh, to the developers, and they went out and did the implementations in starting these co-ops and helping to get yes. them started. So mm-hmm. I didn't know if Chicago was doing it differently from that, if, if you yeah. all were particularly going to create them yourselves or if you're going through these intermediaries to get them. Started. I think it's a little of both. And oh, like, perhaps it's all three. It's surely supporting the ecosystem, so supporting the co-op developers, those that are kind of closest to the co-ops. I think those of us that are on the advisory committee were also saying we need to support the co-ops that exist directly, right? So it's not that they, um, I think that was a challenge in New York. And part of that is a transaction cost. You give a lump sum of money to an organization and then they disseminate it. But there also needs to be a way in which co-ops can get access to some resources as quickly as they they need it. We're also thinking about developing some new co-ops right and and trying to develop a model for co-ops that make most sense especially for marginalized communities black and latinx communities in chicago uh, so it's a little bit of both and supporting the ecosystem and developers supporting the co-ops that exist and um, helping to kind of implement or design develop new co-ops so are you familiar with shy fresh yeah i work with Yes. Okay. And so I really like them. Be One of the reasons is that they are working with, uh, I like the word, the folks that have have had a conflict with our legal system. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Indeed, that's the, the five uh, women that started it had conflicts with the legal system. And so they could mm-hmm. start a co-op. You go out and try to find a job because it's difficult. And when you put down that you've had these conflicts in the legal system, too often people don't want to hire you. So start your own business. Learn how to do it. Get with these developers and these technical providers and start your own business. In that case, it is what what is Chai Fresh? What do they do? Well, Chai Fresh is the entity. It is the food kind of manufacturer and, and distributor, right? So they make fresh food for institutions best fresh healthy food for institutions. So that is the the worker-owned cooperative. They were supported by Upside Down Consulting, which uh, was founded by a woman named Camille Kerr, who's here in Chicago, and is working with the city and uh, at this point on the advisory committee, and I I work with her in other capacities. So she helped bring those folks together and, and helped form, you know, Shy Fresh. I've had her on the show. She's been on the show. Camille on the show. And so this is great. Mm -hmm. I I got a real good sense of that. And I love what they were doing now. Lori Lightfoot is your mayor. Is she involved in this? Do you get support from the mayor's office? Yeah. So I I don't, I haven't engaged with uh, Mayor Lightfoot directly, but this comes out of the mayor's office. This uh, community wealth building initiative is you know, it was, I guess it was incubated in the mayor's office through the office of, of economic 
and racial justice or equity and racial justice. I think that's what it is. So that, that's an office within, um, within the mayor's office. And they, the folks there really led the charge for this. And, and over the last year and a half, really kind of met with community and really determined what we, what's needed and then advocated for the funds, right? Those funds that the mayor didn't just decide that these funds, that's through internal, that's the inside game, the game in which somebody on the inside has to really push, right? Because the money could go elsewhere. And so fortunately we have folks on the inside that within the mayor's office in this office of equity and racial justice that that really supported this initiative. So in DC, Marin Barry, was a cooperator. I mean, he liked co-ops. He helped to create policies and laws to help to create co-ops. I think that's one of the reasons he was called the mayor for life in the district. In 1967, the Federation of Worker Co-ops in the South, in Georgia, they incorporated in D.C. because D.C. had the laws that could help them incorporate. It didn't have it in the southern 13 states. So this, and the reason I bring up mayors is that's interesting what the mayor's office can do to help support co-ops and higher up. Yeah. So same thing with the president. We get President Biden to support co-ops and maybe we can get federal funds and federal support too. Um, and we, we have had it in the past, but not, not recently by any stretch. So what's another city besides New York? You want to talk I mean, there are a bunch of them that, I mean, so I think the New York, I spoke to that just because of the amount of money they've put over the past five, six years. But I would say Philadelphia is also doing, I think, good work. And well, there's not a lot of money coming from the city, um, the city is supporting and is supporting kind of the development of the ecosystem and trying to, I would say they're, you know, providing or at least amenable to providing some access to startup capital and low interest loans, you know, also supporting uh, the e- developing of the ecosystem and the, the co-op developers that are that are there like PACA, building public awareness. Those are those are also, I think, quite critical. Boston has a similar strategy, although both Boston and Philadelphia have a robust kind of landscape of worker-owned cooperatives and and other elements. And so the city's role is just to kind of raise those up and to support them. And in both cities, the grassroots movement is really, in my mind, really kind of leading that charge. But there's no obstructions from the city. The city is either has either passed legislation or a resolution that has made co-ops and the development of co-ops uh, kind of part of kind of the culture of the, the place and that that that's important that was a major signifier for me in terms of what are cities doing is there an ordinance or a resolution or something that they've enacted that would say okay we believe in this and then i looked at a bunch of other little things so it'd be interesting what we could get to personal here with muriel bowser uh what we might be able to put in front of her and the city council to help create this ecosystem in D.C. Uh, and also Ron Hanch is a guy that's been working. That's how I met you through some of the conferences. Uh, yes, I saw him. Has. He's been working mm-hmm. in the Baltimore area. And how can we get those mayors or those city councils to help to create the kinds of 
ecosystems that you've been that you found out with these other twelve cities in that first research. But what what is some research that you're doing now? That future research. What is future research? Yeah. Like? So um, over the last few months, I've been focusing on kind of black centered cooperatives, right? So. And what that means is it, it it's it's co-ops that are either led by uh, black folks and or supporting kind of black communities, right? It doesn't mean that they're only black folks within the cooperative, but their leadership in terms of either the vision, uh, the large number of the people that are worker owners are black, and it's typically facing a black community. And so I was interested in not what the cities are doing in city government, but where am I, where can you identify like formations, clusters of worker-owned cooperatives that are what I just call black centered or black-led worker cooperatives. And so I've identified about 25, I would say, places. Let me, and so let me stop summer, you. let me stop you there. We're going to go into our final break. So I got 25 different places that are black-led mm -hmm. uh, cities or black-led co-ops and i would i really want to hear about this and see where, where they are and because there's been a lot of racism in the co-op world too even though it says the first is is open to anybody no matter but if you go back and look it's been white male led through history and then white women and now blacks are getting very much involved in it there's been black involvement all the time but very much again. So I really want to hear uh, what research you will be looking at coming forward at those other 25 places. We'll be right back. Your news talk station. Welcome back, everybody. <clears throat> Everything Co-op is the program. And, you know, we've been supported by the National Cooperative Bank for the eight and a half years we've been on the air on WOL. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for Americans' cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, uh, by providing innovative financial and related services. Dr. Sutton, have you, in your research, have you come across uh, NCB helping to provide any of this funding? Um, somewhat. Well, I would say, where would I see it? I don't know if I've seen it specifically within, you know, Black-led cooperatives, but I've seen NCB in terms of supporting, you know, I think it's the, the food co-op and some other, I mean, they're, they're a big name and a big entity, a big force in the, in the field, but I'm not always clear where their resources are going, but I just haven't looked into it. So as, as you go around, particularly looking at these uh, Black-led, uh, Black folks co-ops, if they need funding, most of them mm -hmm. do, then I would suggest and maybe we can find who the person is in NCB to uh, to hook them up with. I know they're very big in New York in the housing markets, also yeah. big in D.C. with limited equity housing co-ops, have been for, for long periods of time. But this is their mission, and so they, they love it. They, they do a really great job at it. So, yeah, if you find out let me know and we'll try to hook up and find find uh, who's the right contact there but in the meantime we're what are these 25 different organizations just a few of them that you're well they're not organizations. so these are cities right okay. these are, are cities that I, in which there at least there's at least some evidence that they are they're black centered worker cooperatives 
And there I'm trying to understand, well, if that exists, what are the other support system? What is the ecosystem around those, that formation? And what is the vision and so forth? So that, that's the research that I'm doing. In terms of, or I will be doing in the summer, in terms of, I'm not going to focus on all 25. So yeah, I'll surely I'll focus on Chicago, um, Jackson, Baltimore, DC, likely Atlanta, other places like uh, Dayton, Oakland, Philadelphia, Minneapolis, trying to think where else. I mean, there's Detroit, St. Louis has, has a, some interesting work happening. Again, that, that's just a small sample of some of the places. And the, the only name that you've said that surprised me is St. Louis. I didn't know about St. Louis. I know about all of those other places that you talked about. Um, there's mm-hmm. a new food co-op started in, in Detroit. Capital Impact has put a lot of money into Detroit. Flint, Michigan also, they're starting a food co-op and some other work, mm-hmm. co-op work in, in there. But Jackson, Mississippi is huge in what they're doing. Also Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But it's the mm-hmm. Federation of Southern Co-ops. Have you worked with them at all? Not directly. I mean, I know of them. They're huge, right? That's a, it's yeah. a legacy. And, but I, 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 uh, I haven't worked with them directly. Because they're in 13 southern states, and they have mm-hmm. offices, I believe, in five of those 13. And it's, their whole goal is to do what you're talking about, create co-ops that help black, brown, indigenous communities. Um, and Cornelius Blanding is the person that's there. If you want to reach out to him, I can help put you guys together. Um, so what are some of the type of co-ops in these cities that are black-led that you have found? Uh, there's, a, there's a wide spectrum. I would say there are a number of food co-ops, but there are also service co-ops. Um, service everything from cleaning to uh, child care. Um, there are a number of like designers and like artistic types of enterprises. There are, let's see, one that I don't know, but I just learned about in Fletcher, Vermont, a wine cooperative and an energy cooperative in Massachusetts. Of course, the the Ojima project in in uh, in, in Massachusetts in Jamaica Plain. There's Uji, a you said Ujima and yeah, the Ujima, the Boston Ujima project. Okay, I'm not familiar with that one. Ujima. Oh yeah, that's a big. Uh, so they are large. They're the kind of one of the first democratic community-led democratic investment funds. Okay. And so they have been able to raise about five million dollars from from community investments to reinvest in, in um, Dorchester and Roxbury, uh, largely along the commercial corridors and determining which businesses and supporting cooperatives and so forth. I thought you were talking about Ujima Collective in Pittsburgh. Uh, yes, Ujima Collective in Pittsburgh. Yep, they're there as yes. well. Uh, there's some work in, in, um, in Houston. So there's a lot. And I, again, this is my summer project. So I've just been kind of creating a, a database and, and trying to collect some information at this point so that I can identify the cities and go and meet with people and really understand what's happening and, and understand the relationships within those places, understand the, the, you know, the rationale for doing what they're doing and, and their efficacy at this point. 
if there's anything I can do to support you, uh, even uh, help give you any information I know about different black-led co-ops throughout the U.S., I would be more than happy to do that. Also, I bought an RV. Last year, I traveled around, and I'm going to do that again this summer. If I can meet you anywhere, maybe even do a live mm-hmm. show on a Thursday, whatever <laughs> co-op you're working with, uh, that's another that. possibility that I would absolutely love doing because I want to. I like meeting the cooperators, really mm-hmm. like me and hearing their stories. The first live show I did was in Detroit with Malik uh, when they were starting the food co-op, and I went to look at their farm that they had taken part of a park and they made it into a farm. A city-owned park had given them land, so they created vegetables. And I wanted to go out and cut the veggies and make my salad right there. It was really nice looking. I also visited a farm in in, in uh, Cincinnati. A lot of good stuff in mm-hmm. Dayton and Cincinnati going on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, anything I can do to support you in that research, because I, I, it's exciting. And maybe like everything else, you got other cities saying, well, my name is not on your, when that 12 cities you looked at, maybe we can get, get other blacks to say hey this is something i can do we can do. i would love that that's um you know it's really been through those processes that i've been able to develop this folks from movement for black lives it started to aggregate some some names uh, the U- u.s federation of worker cooperatives uh, you know i had a research assistant and so through all of those um folks we've been able to put this kind of small database together but i know it doesn't represent everything so i would love offline to be in conversation with you to figure out how we can fill in and then perhaps meet in the field. And I've been trying to figure out who at Movement for Black Lives I could get on the show so you can help me too because of what they're doing. I got their policies. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a research project I'm wanting to do is look at all of these civil rights organizations and see what their policies are in housing and in education, health care, mm-hmm. all of it, and then what they've been able to do, and if they had co-ops in their policies. W. Du Bois had it, but did did uh, NAACP have it when they started? I don't I don't see it in their policy now about co-ops in NAACP, right. but looking at their policies to also get those organizations to help to implement the kinds of things you're doing the research on. I think yeah, that would be phenomenal. No, absolutely. I mean, I think they, they started doing research. They hired someone to help understand what was happening, you know, and that I'm advocating for them to to, to make it a, a larger part of their policy platform. I think they did articulate it as, as an important area. I don't know how far they've gone with it. And that's movement for black lives? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yes. yeah, I really would like to get that contact and see how to support them and what they're doing and get them on the air so they can talk about that. So what what are some of the lessons that you have learned in your research at looking at cities and now what you're beginning to research and looking at black-led co-ops that you'd like to leave people with? Mm, they're very different lessons. And so one, the black-led co-ops is new, so I haven't really distilled lessons. But one of the things that I've learned by looking at the the kind of the top-down approach, or at least looking at what cities are doing and philanthropy, more philanthropy is getting into this, is the importance of not being paternalistic, the importance of providing the resource and kind of stepping back, providing the resource and letting the process unfold, right? I think cities and philanthropies are not typically accustomed to the long process right they're they're focused on the outcome they're focused on how many businesses and how many jobs 
But if we use those as the primary or sole, sole indicators of success, we will never kind of rise to the occasion. We'll never see these enterprises at the same in the same way that we see conventional businesses, partly because they take a long time, right, in terms of solidifying. But once they are, they're far more resilient than conventional businesses. So, you know, one thing I say to, to municipal leaders is that if we're going to invest in this, it's a long-term investment. It's not just a political cycle. Yeah. Um, and it's not investing so that you can count the business next year and then hopefully, you know, more and more. They, but once you, they get established, they're embedded in place and they, the ripple effects, both within that enterprise, the surrounding communities, the families of those who are worker owners and the broader community. It's very rare that you have a cooperative that is only doing their business. They're usually deeply engaged in community, right? Yeah, we got to stop it there. Thank you so very much. Long term and they're they're embedded. Everybody out there, thank you so much for for listening. We'll be back next Thursday. And until then, please live cooperatively. Yeah.